Good morning, Tuolumne Community Baptist Church podcast listeners. So glad you're here. I'm so very excited about this morning. This is part four, the one I've been wanting to get to ever since I started studying for this series. This is the last part of the series on kings, kings of Babylon. It's a very interesting story. We're going to be talking about King Cyrus. Um, what an amazing uh, man and how God used someone who did not know him, used him for God's glory and God's good. Oh, I believe before he saw the last days of his life, he knew exactly and precisely who God is. And, and you know, God is still working the same miracles for each one of us today. You know, there's so many things that happen in our lives and that we think that couldn't have been just by coincidence. That couldn't have just happened the way it did. If it hadn't have been for that, I wouldn't be here today. If it hadn't have been for that, I would have never met my wife or had my kids. Imagine how different things would have been on just a decision away. It's a really amazing. And I hope that you've enjoyed this series. I hope that you uh, learn and grow. And I can't wait to tell you all about King Cyrus and the amazing things that God did in his life. Amen. God bless you. I hope you enjoy. Uh, we should be getting started here just shortly. God bless. My podcast people get upset when I don't have the podcast there. Hopefully, podcast people, you'll be getting this very soon. We're in lesson four, series four, part four of this series um, on the kings of Babylon. Have you guys been enjoying this? This I, I've been waiting for four weeks to get to this one. I hope that I present it in the way that God would have me to present it. A prideful person can become a humble person. Now you're all looking at me like, no, you can't. Yeah, you can. A prideful person can become a humble person. We can humble ourselves. Or you could be like me, and God will humble you. Your choice your choice. Whatever you are going through right now, God will use it for your good. I thank you for that amen. I don't know where it came from, but thank you. Whatever you are going through. Well, I, I know all of you that are here, so that I don't think we're going through terrible trials. And, but, but what if somebody was going through a divorce? Can God use that for your good? Yes. Whatever we're going through. What if you've lost your job? What if through this COVID thing, it's absolutely no work for you? God will use it for your good. And I speak of this from my own experience, and I hope to share, you, share with you some of my experiences this morning. But understand this, pridefulness can be displayed in many forms. I would have people literally say to me, well, pastor, I've never really seen you prideful. I've never lorded over people as if I was better than everybody else. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean that's what pride, I mean, that is an attribute of pride for some people. I've seen it, but I've never had that kind of pridefulness in my life. I, I never thought that I was better than anybody else. It can be subtle. It can be as subtle as not allowing God to do his work in your life. 
Pride can be simply saying to God, it's okay, I got this. You ever been there? It's okay, I got this, God. You don't have to do anything, I got it. I know exactly how I want to get it done. I know exactly what, you know, what the process is. I got it, God. Instead, we should be saying, God, I can't do this without you. And that's what got me, is I was always trying to get it done myself. I, was, I, I didn't want to trust God. I, I, I like to see the money in the bank. I like to, to know, you know what, what's coming next. But let's look quickly at these three kings that we've studied. The first was Nebuchadnezzar. The entitled of that message was the seduction of pride. We've seen how great God's mercy is and how God allowed King Nebuchadnezzar to return to his glory after seven years of living like a beast in the field. Can you imagine that? I mean, I, it's beyond comprehension. The man was a looney tune, eating grass, grew his hair so long that it looked like he was an animal, like, like a beast. And God allowed him after seven years to return to his glory and his kingdom. And we also saw in that one how God blessed Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember those guys? Let me read this scripture to you, Daniel 1, 20, 21. You haven't got it there yet, Tony. Daniel 1. <laughs> Daniel 1 says, And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them. you got to remember, I, I didn't really make a big deal of this and at that first message, is remember reading the story in chapter 1 where Daniel said, no, I don't want to eat the king's delicacies, all these fine baked goods, and I don't want to drink the, the, the king's wine. Give us vegetables and waters. Remember that? To the chief eunuch that was, that was in charge. And the eunuch said, if I do that, the king's going to kill me when you guys start looking bad. And he said, I'll make a deal with you. Ch look at us in 10 days. That's where that whole book, The Daniel Diet, comes from. Check it out in 10 days. See how we look in comparison to the rest. That's what this is about. The king examined them, and he found them 10 times better than the magicians and the astrologers who were in his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus, which is who we're going to look at today. But something struck me, and you'll probably hear me mention it several times through this message. Do you realize, it's hard to get ahead, your head around this, at this point, Daniel's probably 85 years old. 85 years old at this point. It had been 70 years from Nebuchadnezzar to Cyrus. Daniel was approximately what theologians believe 15 years old. 13, 15, somewhere in that age. He is now in his 80s. Think about it. He lived a lifetime in oppression. A lifetime in a country that wasn't his own. He lived a lifetime in a pagan world. Kind of sounds like our life, doesn't it? And yet Daniel remained true to his faith. The Bible doesn't tell us how Daniel dies. 
I'm going to talk about this, this guy named Herodias who was a, an incredible writer, historical writer of these times. And he, he did give us a story that there's this guy named, I can't think of his name, can't even say it, that, that actually killed Daniel. But we don't know that to be absolute truth. We don't think he ever made it back to Jerusalem, to his home. It's amazing. And we have the gall to complain about America. Daniel lived his entire life under this regime. And yet God gave him favor, and we've seen it all the way through. He has blessed him and gave him favor. The second one we looked at was King Belshazzar, the stubbornness of pride. We see God deal a little differently with Belshazzar than he did with Nebuchadnezzar. And I believe it was because, you remember these words if you were here, he seen, he heard, and he knew. He knew the stories of how God protected these three Hebrew boys from the fiery furnace and his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, how God had restored him to the kingdom, knowing all this, they still chose to defile, to defile the precious articles stolen from God's temple. And God's, I think he, God just drew a line and said, that's it. This, this, this guy's never going to figure it out. It cost him his life. But can you see the pattern of what we're talking about? Have you, have you figured out that we're talking about pride? Pride is something we all deal with. It came from the fall of Satan. Pride was brought into this world. We talked about that a little bit last week. Third king we talked about was King Darius, the deception of pride. I believe Daniel and King Darius had a great relationship. I think King Darius really loved Daniel. He cared about him deeply. The deception of pride, we have seen how he was so easily deceived by his governors. And I believe it was because he was possibly insecure in himself. Insecurity is the main route to us walking in pride. We do want, not want God to know or see our insecurities as if he doesn't know. But we don't want him to see, we don't want him to know that I'm insecure in this area, God. I, I've got it. But he knows our hearts. He knows what's going on. I believe that he was insecure because he was a Mede. This was a Mede-Persian government. And you have to understand, I'm going to give you a little more history as we go through this. The Medes and Persians came together. The Medes were great warriors. The Persians were highly intelligent and great builders. So they came together. Lists rule the world. And we'll let, all right, Medes, since you guys are so tough and strong, we'll let you guys be the, the governors and the presidents and the king, whatever. And they did that, and it lasted for many years. But you're going to see in the story today that Cyrus had just about enough of this Mede rule. And it came to an end. So this brings us to message number four, the amazing King Cyrus. This message is entitled, The Reversal of Pride. You're waiting for me? I said the reversal of pride. <laughs> You're messing with me. Podcast people, it's the guy in the back messing with me. <laughs> okay. 
Sorry, brother. Okay, but before we get into this amazing story of King Cyrus, let's look at Daniel's part in all this. We realize Daniel's involvement in each of these chapters of the book of Daniel. The first six books of Daniel are the historic, the history of these 70 years. The first six books. It's, it's the history. It takes you from Nebuchadnezzar to Cyrus. The last six books are the pro- prophetic books. Every year he, he was giving us prophetic things that were going on. He even prophesied down to the year that Jesus Christ would begin his ministry. And the, he was so accurate that it has literally baffled theologians throughout history of how Daniel could hit it so accurately. Some say that it's in time prophecies. I think there's a little bit in there, but I think for the most part, he was prophesying about the coming of Christ, which was the first coming of Christ. The specificity, did I say it? The specificity, thank you. That sounds good. Changed my voice a little bit. The specificity of Daniel's prophecies are so accurate. It's so incredible. And I'd like to be able to show you more, but I have to limit myself with the amount of scriptures that I can actually give you in this one setting. If this was a seminary class, believe me, we would be here for months. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you the first and sometimes the first and second verse from chapter 7 all the way to chapter 12. And listen to this. Chapter 7, 1. It says, in the first year of Belshazzar, the king, the king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. We remember that. Daniel 8, 1. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel. He said, to me, to me, Daniel, after the one appeared to me the first time. Daniel 9, verses 1 and 2, it says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Asherus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Verse 2, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood the books of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish... 70 years in dissolutions of Jerusalem. Now pay close attention to that. We're going to talk about that Jeremiah thing. That's how Daniel knew. He knew he was going to be there for 70 years. Daniel 10.1. In the third year of King of Cyrus, King of Persia, notice it says King of Persia now, not the Medes in Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel whose name was called Belshazzar, that was Daniel's Hebrew, I'm not, not his Hebrew, this pagan name, uh, was Belshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. Daniel knew this was going to be a long time. Daniel 11.1 1 says, also the first year of Darius the Mede, I, even I, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. That's why I said when we were talking about Darius that I think Daniel and Darius had a, had a phenomenal relationship and Daniel did stand up for him. Daniel 12, 1 and 2, this is where people believe he's talking about end times. He said, at that time, Michael, 
shall stand up. Michael, the archangel, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble. We believe that's talking about tribulation, such as never was since there was a nation, even, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. We believe he was referring to the rapture. Everyone who is found written in the book. Well, we know what that is, the book of life. He's talking about salvation. Verse 2, it says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall be awake, some to everlasting life. I believe he's talking about heaven and eternity. Some to shame and everlasting contempt. We're talking about hell or Sheol, is what that was about. This brings me to point number one. God's plans for you are for your good. I know sometimes we're going through really hard times and we don't understand. I tried to explain this to my son who's going through a, a, a terrible time. You have no idea, son, but what you're going through is for your good. How could you say that, Dad? Well, do you still love the Lord with all your heart? Yes. Do you still believe Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins? Yes. Then all you're going through is for your good. He gives it to us in his word. You just have to believe and learn and grow. Now, how do I know how it's going to play out in the future? I don't know. But I do stand on that promise. Because of their pride, now we're into point number one, the Jews didn't allow its land, its Sabbath. So you may be thinking, well, how could God punish his people for 70 years for their mistake? Well, let me say this. It was no mistake. They knew exactly what they were doing. They got away with it for 400 years. Wouldn't you think after 400 years, you'd figure, well, God doesn't care. We got away with it. No, he was hoping they would turn it around, but they never did. They wouldn't give the land its Sabbath. And it entitled, they had to go for 70 years for the land to heal. And God did it for their good. And they had Deuteronomy 6.16. It said, Who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you, and that he would test you and do you good in the end? You know, God always wants to do us good in the end, and he will test us. We will go through hard times. And they knew this, and they still chose not to give the Sabbath to the land. Remember when I said, that pay attention to, to Daniel when he was reading Jeremiah? Jeremiah 24, 5. Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, like those good figs, so I will acknowledge those who are carried away captive from Judah, whom I sent out of this place for their own good. Did you see that? For their own good. Jeremiah was prophesying that this is going to happen and it's for their own good into the land of the Chaldeans. Jeremiah 29, verses 10 and 11. It says, For, this, for thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good work toward you and make toward you 
and cause you to return to this place. This one, look at verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. How many times have we read that scripture? You know, I remember my mother used to have this little thing on the table, a little bread box thing, a little porcelain thing, and you pick it up in the scripture a day, and you read the scripture, and then you put it in the back. Next day you open it up, read it. And I remember reading this, but I didn't know because I didn't put it together with what he was saying in the beginning. He says, thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed. (laughs) He's telling us he knows our thoughts, but we have to go through. We have to go through those difficult times, times that we don't believe we can go through, but we do. We go through. He says, I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and to give you a hope. No matter what you are going through, remember, he thinks good thoughts of you. It may not be over. You've got some time. You've got to deal with this situation. But he thinks good thoughts for you. He knows it's hard to go through whatever it is you're going through. But it's going to prove to be for your own good. It's hard to comprehend that unless you've been through it. It's going to prove. Look at Second Chronicles. This one I'm so excited about. Second Chronicles 36, 22. Now in the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth... The Lord God of heaven has given me. This is Cyrus speaking. And he has commanded me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you all his people? May the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. Now, you might not know why I think this is so incredible. but I, And I realize... We don't all have time to sit home and study like a seminary student. I do these days. I spend more time and it's not enough. I need more. I need more. But you know what really is, tr- is so amazing, mind-blowing? These last two scriptures, 2 Chronicles 36, 22, and 23, are the last scriptures in the Hebrew writings chronologically. Not Malachi. These right here, 2 Corinthians 36, 22, and 23, are the last words wrote before we move into Matthew, before we go. Some 500 years before Christ was to come, God was preparing a way. And how do you know that? you got to go to, I bought Joe, I forgot to bring it in, it's in the back seat of my car. I bought Joe a Bible that's called The Living Tree. And it's wrote by a group of Jewish scholars. They didn't change the Bible. They put it in chronological order. And I thought, I wonder. And I went and I pulled it open. There it was, the last. Just before you go to Matthew, here it was, Second Chronicles. It was right there. 
These are the last things. And think about it in, in a, with a mind like this. God was releasing his people some 500 years before the coming of Christ to prepare a way for Christ to come. David hadn't been born yet. The lineage of David has to come through this. Everything has to go through Jerusalem for Christ to come. And God was, it's, so, it's mind-blowing that he, in his infinite wisdom, was setting it all up. He did it for our good. All that they had went through, the 70 years in captivity, the 70 years that he had to give the land to rest, it was for your good and for mine. Not just theirs, for the future of the world. What you have in your Bible is the first five books. You have the Law of Moses, the Torah. Then you have the prophets broken into major and minor. And it's not that major or minor. The major aren't more important than the minor. They're just having to be longer. That's the only difference. Then you have the writings. And Daniel is right in the middle of the writings and the prophetic books. Because half of Daniel is prophetic and the other half of the writings. It's absolutely incredible what God has given us in this word of God. And I can't emphasize to you enough that you need to be in your Bible. But let me finish this point like this. No matter what kind of problem, what kind of trouble that you have gotten yourself into, God is going to use it for your good. Well, how can you say that, Pastor? Well, that brings me to point number two. God knew you before you knew him. God knew you before you knew him. In this next scripture, it was wrote 150 years before Cyrus was even a twinkle in his daddy's eye. 150 years. The Bible doesn't tell you, tell us, uh, the Bible doesn't, tell us what it was Daniel who went to Cy that it was Daniel who went to Cyrus and read him these scriptures but Cyrus read these scriptures in Isaiah and I'm believing that it was Daniel because of the relationship Daniel had with the kings they respected him they put him in the highest positions of their governments so imagine it like this Isaiah 41:5 Daniel takes his bible takes the scroll whatever he had and he goes, King Cyrus, you've got to read this. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not shut. Isaiah 45, 2 through 4 says, I will go before you. I will make crooked places straight. I will break into pieces the gates of bronze. I will cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden treasures of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who called you by your name, Cyrus, I am the God of Israel. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and for Israel, my elect, I have called you by your name. I have named you, though you have not known me. So don't tell me that God can't use a man who doesn't know him, because he did with Cyrus. God said in his own words, you don't know me, but it's me who named you. Isaiah 44, 28. 
And you're going to understand in just a little bit why this one, why this scripture is the one that got Cyrus. God, who says, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he shall perform all my pleasure. Saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built and the temple, your foundation shall be left. King Cyrus, without any doubt, was God's man in such a time of this. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take, give you some history concerning Cyrus. Most of which was not, it's, you're not going to find it in the Bible, and it was wrote by Herodias, a historical writer, a proven, documented, truthful writer of history back in this day. His writings have astonished people for years and years and years. And if you want to go online and look up writings of Herodias, it's absolutely amazing. He's a documented historian. He gives an account of Cyrus's early life. And this is the story that I want to share with you. To start out, I feel like I need some explanation because you may find it confusing as to why Cyrus would overthrow his own government. The king was his biological grandfather that he overthrows. And you might think, why? So let me share with you what I've learned. I've already told you the Medes were a great nation, a mighty force. The Persians were people of wisdom and wealth, and they joined forces, their governments, and they overthrew the Babylonians. The Persians were... Larger, the Medes were stronger. The Medes primarily ran the government. There was a king named Astroges. He's a Mede. He came sometime after King Darius. We're not sure where. I don't have that history of where in line. But it was after King Darius, prior to Cyrus taking the throne. We know that Daniel was still there. And he had a daughter, And he arranged for her to marry a Persian diplomat. His name was Cannabis. Cambyses. Let me say that right. I say Cannabis, sounds like he's, you know, you know. Cambyses. It was actually Cambyses I. There was King Syraxes who came in sometime after Darius, and he was succeeded by his son Astroges. That's how he became king. King Astroges was the maternal grandfather of Cyrus the Great. He he revolted against Astroges, as was predicted in a dream. Now, remember this. Daniel is 85 years old now, at least in his 80s. He's an old man. And these accounts of this historian, here's the accounts of this historic writer. In this account... King Astroges had two prophetic dreams, one in which there was a flood, and then the gates, and then, then in that series, the next dream he had, I'm sorry, was his daughter had some fruit-bearing vines which emerged from her, from her womb. This was in his dream. And the vines completely covered the land, fruitful vines, and they completely covered the land. They were emerged and covered the entire kingdom. These were interpreted by his advisors 
as a foretelling that his grandson would rebel against him and take his kingdom. Well, King Astrogees, being the not nice guy that he was, had his servant waiting for the child to be born. Now, if it were a girl, she'd be allowed to let live. But if it were a boy, he was ordered to take the child away from the parents and have him killed. But think of this. The child's father is the son-in-law of King Astroges. His name is Canopus Cambyses I. And he was, his son was supposed to be named Cambyses II. In fact, Cyrus later names his first son Cambyses II in honor of his biological father. The child was born, and the servant took the male child off to have him killed. This servant was a good guy. I had his name, but I can't pronounce it. He was a good guy, and he was broken, weeping, taking his child through the night, knowing that he has to kill it. Now, how would you guess that through the night, as he was rushing out of town, that there's this pair, this husband and wife, carrying their stillborn child to bury it in the middle of the night? And this guy runs into these people. They're weeping and sobbing. They're carrying their stillborn child. And the guy says, this is great. And they say, how could this be great? I'll trade you. And he gives them the live baby and takes their stillborn, goes back to the king for proof and say the child is dead. These people, the shepherds, they named this young man Cyrus. We don't know the family history of why they came up with Cyrus, but I know that God put it in their head. His name is Cyrus. I went through all this so that you would name this boy Cyrus. And they named him Cyrus, and they raised him as a shepherd. Remember when the scripture said, I will use my shepherd at heart. Cyrus was a shepherd. That's what he would do is he would tend sheep out in the field. At 10 years old, King Astroges was going crazy, literally crazy in the mind because of what he had done. And he started crying every year at the same time for this grandson that he had killed. And finally, this servant, which was a good servant, he seen what the king would go through every year at the birth time of this child. And he said, finally, after 10 years, he said, King, please forgive me. Your grandson's still alive. And Astroges says, what? He's still alive? He said, yeah, he's still alive. And he told him the story of what had happened. He said, bring him in. I want to restore him to the kingdom. So they did. They brought Cyrus, now is his name, into the kingdom. Well, guess what? Cyrus did overthrow that kingdom. And there's for good reason why. Astroges was a cruel, a cruel king. In fact, remember the servant who took the child and refused to kill it? Astroges honored him when Cyrus was brought back to his position. Without him knowing it, he took his first son, killed him, boiled him, served him up as a stew for all to eat. And then after dinner, he brought in the head and the hands to prove what he had done. That's how this guy was out there, okay? And Cyrus, he's seen this, he's, he's 10 years old. He goes, this isn't right. Now understand, Cyrus's real father is a Persian, not a Mede. His mother is a Mede. But what does that make Cyrus? 
at heart a Persian. And the Persians were kind people. And he loved his dad, his biological dad. So when Cyrus finally was of age and got married, he named his first son Cambius II. So now living under his grandfather's rule, Cyrus seen just how cruel Astrachis was. And he knew that the time was coming, that he'd have to overthrow the king. He's gotten older now. Now maybe this will help you to understand what Ezra was talking about. Ezra 1, 1 through 4 says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus of Persia so that he made a proclamation throughout his kingdom and also put in writing saying, Thus says the Lord of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judea, who is among you of your, all his people. May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judea, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. His, he is God, which is Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver, with gold, with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. He set it up to where they could go with everything they needed. Did I have a picture in there? Did you already pass it? Okay. That picture was actually of King Cyrus and Astrogees. Astrogees was in change, and King Cyrus was really a pretty young man at that time when they overthrew. It was a great battle that they came up and fought against this Mede kingdom. But the interesting thing is, this is also in Herodias' writing, is Cyrus didn't kill his grandfather. He kept him alive to always remind him who God is. It's amazing. You know, the, the Persian people were really good people. He overthrew the, company, the, the country, but he still didn't have his grandfather killed, which everybody wanted to have him killed. This brings me to point number three. God's plans for you include provision. He will provide you with whatever you need. It says, Ezra 3, 7, they also gave him money for the masons and the carpenters and food and drink and oil for people of Sidon and try to bring cedar logs from Lebanon to the Sea of Joppa according to the permission which they had from Cyrus, the king of Persia. God takes care of his people, even in a time such as we are living today. Your life is part of a story that's still being wrote. It's still being wrote. Think about it. It's not just our country, but the whole world is going through this pandemic. And yes, I believe there's lies in the media. We all do. With the numbers and the deaths and truly the inflicted of this virus, but it doesn't make COVID-19 any less. We do have to take precaution and protect ourselves. But with this media, it's all designed to intend and inflict fear to shut down our church, to shut down our government, to shut down everything. And we're just not going to let it happen. 
because Satan wants you to believe he's in control and God has forgotten about us. But remember, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. Do you remember Ephesians 6, 12? Let's look at it. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness. It's a whole lot worse than the people we think are trying to ruin our lives. They're not our enemies. You can call them liberals. You can call them crazies. You can call them whatever you want to call them. I'm with you. But our battle isn't against them. It's against the principalities of darkness. It's against powers and rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. But our God is in control. God is incredible in his timing. Seventy years for the Jews have been taken away before he allowed them to return. But let me tell you of another story that's a little closer to our history. The Holocaust caused the Jews to be scattered throughout the world. Many countries rejected them. Others put them in camps, saying they couldn't afford them to let them come in. Others, like the United States, welcomed them. And May 8, 1945, the Holocaust was over. The war was over. But think of this. On May 14, 1948, David Ben-Gruen, the head of the Jewish agency, proclaimed the establishment of the state of Israel. Our U.S. president, President Harry S. Truman, was the first one to recognize them as a country. And the United Nations followed. If it wasn't for Truman, it would never have happened. It would never have happened. God put it in Truman's heart to bless them as a nation. Well, Pastor does the Bible say anything about the Holocaust? Yes, it does. It does. I missed my place in my notes. Anyway. Wow. I'm wondering if when I switch my notes, if I left this part out. In May 14th, 2020. No, no. What year was it? 70 years, 2018. There it is, May 14th, 2018. The United States officially opened the embassy in Jerusalem. 70 years to the day, to the day that Harry S. Truman stood behind Israel to become a nation. To the day this president opened it up and said, Jerusalem is theirs. The embassy is there. It's theirs. And he helped to bring peace between the Palestinians and the Jews. So what does the Bible say about the Holocaust? Well, it doesn't mention it, but I think in Deuteronomy 30, 1 through 5, Moses was talking about this. Now it shall come to pass, when all things have come upon you, blessing and curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among the nations where the Lord your God drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I have commanded you today, you and your children, with all your heart, with all your soul, that the Lord, verse 3, the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where, God, where the Lord your God has scattered you. 
you, that sounds exactly what happened at the end of the Holocaust. And, and there's Israelis that are still, still traveling and going back to their homeland. If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it, and he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. It's mind-blowing. God knows each one of us, and each one of us is in the middle of a story of our own lives, and we have to remember what God is doing in our midst. I know it's gotten late. I'm going to share one story, because I told you I would. One story, and I shared this with Andy. My, my past wife passed away in October of 2012. Between 2012 and 14, my mother got older, fell down, broke her hip, and wound up in a convalescent home. But before that, it was just her and I in the house. And she was one person in my life that I could truly talk to. And she knew my feelings inside, and I was broken because I didn't think at this point, unless I planted a church, I would ever be a pastor again. Why? Because of my insecurities. I couldn't read all that well. I didn't have a bachelor's degree or a master's degree in theology. And I would convey that to her. I'd say, I'm just broken because I've left the church that I'm never going to be able to return to. And I don't think that, I don't know what God's going to do with me. The next day I went to work and I came back home and I went down to see how she's doing. She said, the Lord's been talking to me. And he's told me, he does have plans for you. He has plans for you. In fact, he's told me that the church he's building for you now, and he's preparing a place for you. You're not going to have to go look for sound equipment. You're not going to have to go look for a projector. You're not going to have to buy chairs. Oh, by the way, she said this to me. It's got pews. And my mother's a pew person. I'm going, Mom, I hate pews. And she goes, don't you, don't you. That's the Lord told me it's got pews. We're building a place for you right now. It's being built. And this was at the same time that Andy was just finishing this building. And you guys were about to move into it. I had no idea. I didn't know any of you. And she's prophesying that God is building you a house that you're going to lead. You're going to pastor. And it's going to be in unity. It's going to be a wonderful thing. And I said, oh, that's nice, Mama. I patted her on the head. We'll see. We'll see if that ever comes true. I had no idea that she was going to die in 2014 also. And I lost literally my best friend. And I'd forgotten all about that vision that she shared with me. Totally forgot it. Didn't, didn't matter. Totally forgot. And then for some bizarre reason, I started looking at homes in Tuolumne. Go figure, I never liked Tuolumne. Sorry, no offense. I know you guys, you've been here all your life. It's, I love this community. I am part of this community now. You won't be able to get me out of it until you bury me up on Carter. You know, I had no idea that I'd move to Tuolumne. And then I'd have no idea that I would come to this little Baptist church. Christy, did you ever figure seeing me in a Baptist church? I didn't either. We came over and we sat right over there about where Daryl's sitting. 
and and at the time the music ministry was was in it was a little rough but, you know that's all it was just a little rough and I leaned over to Joe and I said don't you tell him you play the piano don't you tell him don't you tell him she didn't know why because I didn't I wasn't gonna stay I was gonna move on somewhere else I, you know I, I didn't want to leave a hole I didn't want to make any friends I was just here she got up and went and told Kathy that she plays the piano that very day next Sunday she was playing the piano I think yeah it took longer it seems like it and then the Lord decided okay I gotta settle you down so he gave me open heart surgery in 2014 that calmed me down this little church was praying for me they didn't even know me Tony knows what I'm talking about you go through some weird emotions at the end of one of those surgeries Helen you know what I'm talking about too no Hazel got it you know it's just weird and all of a sudden I found a love in my heart for you God what is that what is that I don't do pews or hymns or any of that stuff what what is that he said you just trust me and I've been here ever since God will take those things that are hurtful and he'll use them for your good he'll use them for your good you don't understand at the time what it is you're going through why do I have to go through this I don't know but I this I do know it will be for your good amen I've taken so much time Tony if you want to come back to the piano it's amazing to me throughout this living Word of God that you have on your laps or you have at home he he has told us exactly through that word what's happening if we just search you'll find it it's alive and the story is still being wrote today your your life is writing it I'm sure there's testimonies everyone you I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for this I wouldn't have I, I wouldn't have moved to Tuolumne if it wasn't for this I wouldn't there's so many stories and it's God that has brought us together to move forward together it's so important so I'm gonna let these podcast listeners go goodbye brothers and sisters